Hey, this is Matt Lubbersmore with Requeered Books, and you're listening to the Super Lit Podcast. is a bi-weekly podcast pertaining to books about the LGBT community. Hey, Matt. Is it, so can I call you Matt or do you prefer Matthew? Matt is just fine. All right, perfect. So um, we have a special guest. Uh, he did our opening. And we Sophie had sent me uh, like a little thing from a fa- – I believe it was a Facebook group that I saw um, about Matt's – is it an imprint? Or what, what would you describe requeered – as uh we are a publishing uh we do refer to ourselves as an imprint yeah that would that would work uh just you know as a regular publisher awesome and uh what do, what exactly does requeer do i i actually really like the name of your imprint we actually had quite a few names that we weren't sure t- how to go with and the term queer can be kind of deemed fairly negative with um uh, the gay community. So we kind of were hesitant to use it, but it really was the best uh, option that we chose. So um, what we do is um, we publish um, out of print uh, LGBTQ books, um, especially from the seventies, eighties, nineties, and early two thousands. That's really cool because uh, I, I obviously only know the ones that like I, I see out like in the daily on say like Barnes and Noble or, um, uh, on, I guess, Audible. Sophie's a really big uh, audiobook fan. And uh, I I don't really know how you go about finding these books. So, like, how, can you tell me a little bit about that? So, most of us are uh, a little older. I'm in my late 30s, and I'm the youngest of the three members. Um, and so we pretty much publish you know, we kind of look into what we remember reading and what is no longer available for us to access. So like, um, you know, Grant Michaels, uh, six book series about, um, the, uh, stylist, uh, sleuth, um, Stan Krejcik, you know, we went through and, um, we remember how much we enjoyed reading his books and, his books aren't available. I mean, you can try and find a physical copy on Amazon. You know, they sell for about $50 or more and they're just not, you know, available for the general public. They're not available as eBooks. They're not available as audiobooks. So they really are kind of being forgotten. And so what we are trying to do is just bring back a lot of these books that we remember reading when we were younger or reading when, you know, they first came out, you know, um, and, uh, so that's really our goal. And so uh, I'm currently working on a bibliography of gay mysteries. And so with that is, you know, we're kind of digging through that as well, trying to find uh, good books that would fit our imprint and what, you know, we, we can get access to. 
um, gay mysteries are like, I, it's funny. I never really knew I like needed them until I read a book called white rabbit by Caleb Rorig. Um, that like opened me up to this world of like, Oh, gay people can exist in mysteries. And they, it's just like this whole beautiful world that I would love. To, <laughs> I can't wait to see what else you guys pick for it. Yeah. You know, like, um, I, you know, I remember reading, um, there was a, uh, Mabel May, May, Maney, I think it was her name. I, I might be flipping. It might be Maney Mabel. Um, but she wrote a, a spoof of the Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys books in which Nancy Drew's a lesbian and uh, and the Hardy Boys are uh, uh, brothers who are both gay. And it's called the Hardly Boys and, and uh, Nancy Clue. And, it, and I saw that in Barnes & Noble you know, when I was like 16 or 17, I'm like, oh, my goodness, that sounds so funny. And so, you know, because I devoured Nancy Drew as a kid and, you know, some of the Hardy Boys. And so I just read this and it was just so funny. And and that's what really got me into reading uh, mystery, uh, mysteries with gay uh, detectives. And I started like really devouring them and just, yeah, I just love mysteries. So that's kind of what the genre, what we initially started off doing was just publishing uh, gay mysteries, and then of course uh, we got approached by uh, 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 by Felice Picano, who was very who uh, wrote quite a few books uh, in the eighties uh, and nineties, and was just very prolific and very uh, beloved. And he said, you know, I, I've got these books, and they're out of print, and I'd like to see them in print again. And you know, they're not mysteries. Uh, you know, one of his books is a mystery, but most of his books are just literary fiction. Uh, uh, geared towards the gay community and we're like well we can't turn these down you know so that's kind of how we went from just doing only mysteries to doing a little bit more um of everything yeah because the the list of books you sent over to me um i really liked sunday's child and let's get criminal um i think i i was reading through sunday's child and i was like oh that it, it's funny the language in it is a little bit different than i like uh, i guess like books that come out now are um, just from like some of the words that were used, but uh, let's get criminal was probably my favorite one. Yeah. Let's get criminal um, was written by Lev Raphael and it's the first book in a nine book series. And it's amazing because all of his other books are in print except for let's get criminal. And so when we were going through this, uh, you know, Lev Raphael contacted us and he said, you know, it's really frustrating because I'd really like my first book in the series to still be available, but um, I'm having a hard time getting publishers um, interested in the first book. You know, they're interested in the later books, but not the first book, which is just goofy in my mind. But um, so we started, so we looked into him and we're like, okay, you know, so we, you know, we brought it back and yeah. And I've met Lev Raphael because he lives only like, an hour and a half away from me. So whenever he has like a book release, he does his signings and talks. And so I make sure I go because I've always loved Lev Raphael's books. And so we are just so excited to get uh, his books. And it's very academic, very um, – could be considered highbrow, but not as highbrow as Sunday's Child, which is probably our most highbrow uh, book that we have because – you know, it's, you know, very cultured, uh, old, um, midlife crisis um, uh, character, you know, out of, um, uh, I think it's Montreal. Yeah, I think it's out of Montreal. And then he ends up moving to Toronto in the later series. But yeah, and that's, of course, the first book in another series. Yeah. And Jeffrey Chadwick is a very interesting character from Sunday's Child because, you know, he, he 
most mysteries um, or books along that line are, you know, you're trying to figure out who who was the murderer. And here, you know, in the first couple chapters, Jeffrey Chadwick is the murderer and, you know, has just all these misadventures of how to, you know, essentially to cover it up. Yeah, because the when I was reading Sunday's Child, um, I I admittedly I read a lot of YA books, so I guess something that is um, more geared towards people my actual age. When I was reading uh, Sunday's Child, I was like, "Is this?" I know they 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 say Canada, but I was reading it. It was like I feel like these are like I don't want to say snobby British people, but I feel like they're <laughs> snobby British people. But of course, they're upper, they're middle, they're upper middle class to upper class, you know, so of course, there's like that little bit of snobbishness, you know, and, you know, they all have help. And they're all, you know, very, they all have money and, you know, and so, yeah, they are kind of snobbish. Um, it's so yeah, it's just kind of an interesting look on like, uh, the you know, you could almost say the British hierarchy or, you know, and just say, oh, well, you know, they're just different. You know, those that Montreal upper middle class, you know, with the, the mom who's always drunk um, and she passes out in the middle of a conversation. And it's just very it's just kind of, you know, they're snobbish, but it's a fun look because you kind of realize they may be wealthier, but they're not better than us. Oh yeah, no, not at all. And it's it's funny, like the the beginning of the book when uh, he's talking about how uh, he and his partner just broke up. Um, it's it sounds like he's not upset, but he is, but he isn't, and he's just like, "It's fine. I'm going to drink with mother." And it's just like, <laughs> "Okay, yep, that's gonna fix this." Yeah, I, lo- I love that. I love that. You know, where he's just kind of like, "Yeah, I'm not upset about this at all." But then he pretty much laments it the entire book. Uh, you know, even where he'll be doing something and he'll be like, "Oh, I just realized I haven't thought of Chris in over a day." You know, it's like you're obviously still obsessed with him, but you're, but you know, it's like you know, I mean, obviously we all try and pretend like, "Oh, it doesn't bother me," but it ultimately does bother you. Oh yeah, he must. He might be a Virgo. We're very good at that. Yeah, I'm a Taurus. We don't. We don't tolerate um, uh, self denial. <laughs> if only every other astrological sign had that. Did Did I ask you uh, what made you want to reprint the stories? Like, what brought you to do this? <laughs> um. So it was kind of a joke. Um. We got. Uh. So. Uh. uh I don't know if you ever heard of John Morgan Wilson, but he, he was very prolific um, in the uh, 80s. He, he won an Edgar Award for uh, his first book um, in um, – oh, I can't remember the title. I apologize. But it's a Benjamin Justice series, and it won an Edgar Award for the best uh, new book. Um, he, won, uh, he won a bunch of Lambda Awards for the series for Best Gay Mysteries. They're incredibly – uh, good and well-written books. The only problem is, you know, they've been out of print for over a decade. Um, and we found out, so John Morgan Wilson wants to republish his books and get them back into print, but he had, doesn't have, uh, the manuscripts anymore. Uh, you know, back in the day, you'd submit your manuscript to the publisher and the publisher would take those pages and turn them into books. But then the, 
publisher owned the manuscript. They wouldn't give them back to the author. So there are absolute, so there's no way for, you know, and he didn't have copies and, or anything like this. So he didn't have any way of revising his books to turn them back in to uh, make them into books again, to bring them back into print. And so he's been reaching out to a bunch of people and saying, Hey, does anyone know of a way of a cheap way for me to scan, you know, to take my books and put them into a digital format, you know, into like Microsoft word or something like that, and then send them back to me. So that way I can revise them and republish them and re and get them back into print. And so we were all just kind of like talking about like ways he could do this. Um, and my friend Alexander who lives in Toronto said, Oh, well, you know, I travel a lot. Um, he, he go, you know, he's retired. And so he likes to go down to Mexico about six months out of the year but he doesn't want to take his entire library with him. And so what he'll do is he'll scan his physical books that are not eBooks and makes them into physical into make, he makes them into electronic copies so he can read his books on his Kobo. And he, um, he already had all of most of the books uh, turned into uh, eBooks. So he just said, oh yeah, I've got these. And I, and uh, we kind of joke, we're like, oh, we could start a business doing this. You know, we could start up our own publishing company. And so we just kind of joked about it. And we started talking about all the authors that we, that are out of print that we would like to bring back. And, and all of a sudden on, uh, we were talking to another friend, Justine, who's a lawyer in Los Angeles. And she said, well, if you guys are serious, I can draw up all the contracts and get all this, you know, and get us set up as a, as a publishing company and we could do this. And the three of us kind of were joking about it. And then all of a sudden, six months to a year later, we're publishing our first book steam by JB laws uh, in May of 2019. And it was just kind of like, Oh, I guess we're publishers now. That's actually like really cool. It's funny. The name of my podcast uh, started as a joke, but I feel like sometimes things like that happen where it's like, Oh, this could be funny. And then it's like, wait, this could actually be really rewarding. You know, and it, 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 when we got into it, we just kind of thought it'd be kind of like interesting just to do this. And, you know, we're not sure if it actually work or whatnot, but the most, re, you know, it bringing the books out is fun. Um, my, so my part in the company is uh, reaching out to the public is to reaching out to the authors or, um, unfortunately, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the authors from, you know, the 70s and 80s and early and 90s, uh, unfortunately, passed away um, either from AIDS um, or by this point, old age um, and mostly AIDS. And so I've been reaching out to a lot of the families and I was a little hesitant at first because I'm like, you know, you know gay men in the seventies and eighties or even, you know, sixties, fifties were not well liked, you know, the homosexuality is a sin type thing. And here I am reaching out to families whose uh, gay son or gay brother or gay uncle passed away from AIDS. And I don't know how I'm going to be received. And I have yet to encounter one family member that was just completely opposed to the republishing of the books. Um, they've all been supportive and loving and kind. And 
the most rewarding part is when I get an email, I got an email from, uh, so we're republishing Stan Leventhal's books and I got an email from his brother saying, you know, I'm just so excited about you guys republishing my brother's works, you know, carrying on his legacy, you know, even though he passed away, you know, 10, 15 years ago to be able to see his name in print again is just so rewarding. And he just appreciates everything we've done. You know, he, you know, he, he'll get royalties and you know and everything but it doesn't even matter about the royalties you know we've talked i've talked to siblings that they just want to see their their brother's works in print again you know to kind of remember to remember him and i just feel like that is the most rewarding part about this entire publishing enterprise i think it's um interesting that uh i don't think a lot of people talk about uh the the attachment family members or like loved ones can get from a book being, um, published in general. Um, especially if the person is no longer with us. Um, I didn't even, I didn't even think about the, uh, the AIDS crisis affecting literature in that way. And it's, it's actually really amazing that, um, you've had such a great response from family members, uh, to like to getting these books back out because you don't, I guess I've never really thought about that. Like if a book isn't pu- like being published anymore or out of print, I should say, um, I- I've never thought about like the, I don't want to say ramifications, but like it, it stinks. And it- it's really cool that you guys are doing this because it- it's giving family members who are missing people like another chance to you know, like relive the, like the days that the book was published. Well, I'm not sure if you noticed. So in the in, in almost all of our books, I think in all of them so far that we've published, we always have a, an introduction or a foreword. Um, and in Steam, um, which was our first book by J.B. Laws, J.B. Laws, um, he it, it, it's just an amazing story of how he even got Steam published to begin with. Um, so Allison Press, which or publications, was a very big gay press in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. Um, they ended up doing a competition with City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco. Um, and it was the best new author. Uh, they could never have published a book before. And if your book won, if your manuscript won, you would be published by Allison Publications. And it was the staff and the owner of City Lights Bookstore that were the judges. And um, Allison, uh, Sasha Allison emailed me um, and was kind of telling me the story of how this happened. And he was terrified. You know, he's like, what if all we get is junk? You know, because they they could they reserve the right to publish none of them. Um, And he's like, you know, how bad is that? You know, to tell all these people, we're not going to publish any of your works because they're all crap. You know, and so they're like, okay, we've got to, you know, so he's like, you know, we're going into this a little worried um but we'll see how we do and um jb laws wrote his book steam and it won and uh allison had never published a horror novel before and he's like but i had to this was just so great um and so they published it and um a year after steam came out uh jb laws uh passed away from aids and in that year that after he wrote steam he came he had written the unfinished uh which is coming out in october for moss um and allison press published that after his death and 
it was this was the first um relative i had reached out to was his brother gary um it's it's really funny so um stan leventhal's brother gary (laughs) and jb laws his brother also has a brother named Gary. So it's so we're dealing with Gary Laws and Gary Lees. So it's very so it can be very confusing. So um our so anyways, but I'm talking to so we're so I email Gary Laws and I'm not even thinking about it. I'm just like, oh, we just want to republish your brother's works and blah blah. So in the so in the subject line, I write, you know, JB Laws. And that's all I write, you know, nothing else, just JB Laws in the subject line, subject line, then I kind of go into what we're doing. And Gary writes me back and he goes, you had me in tears. He's like, I never thought I would ever see my brother's name in an email, um, especially in a subject header. He goes, I really thought these books were just done and nobody would want to read them again. And it's just so thrilling that you guys um, feel such uh, uh, love for his work that you want to do this. And that's and like I said, it's the most rewarding part is when the families tell me, you know, how much they just love that we're, we are, you know, we're doing this, you know, essentially to revive their memory, but also to preserve our literary history. Because we like, I guess in high school, we, we read, you know, Streetcar Named Desire. We read uh, Shakespeare. We read um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. There are books that are much, I, I you know, I'm 28. There are books that are much older than me that are still being printed. And it's such a shame that like ones that are very much about like our, our people aren't. And I, I, I literally never thought about it until I started reading the books that you sent over that there, there are so many books that I don't know about that have queer people in them that aren't being printed anymore. And it, this is such a cool thing. And it's so interesting because a lot of the books you sent over are amazing. Like I, I genuinely liked, I, I think all of them. And I, obviously I had my favorites, but, <laughs> but I, it, it's, it's such an interesting thing. And how many books do you guys have out now? Uh, we have five books out. Um, Sunday's child was our latest one. It came out on July 15th or actually it came out on July 16th. So yesterday, um, so we have Steam, uh, Let's Get Criminal. It, sorry, we have so many books. It, it takes me a little bit to go through them. Um, third book is um, uh, Freeform, which is a gritty uh, Scottish uh, book that takes place in uh, Glasgow. Um, and Jack Dixon is amazing. Like By the time you get done reading his book, you, you can't help but speak with a Scottish accent. Um, and that one's that one's really gritty and dark, and it and the foreword for that one is just awesome because it's written by a friend of Jack Dixon, um, who works in the BBC or worked in the BBC, and they almost made it into a TV show when uh, in the late '90s, early 2000s. But the BBC producer was just a little bit too hesitant about the the amount of language and. Um, and they weren't sure how they were going to explain uh, and how they were going to do the sex. So, so they ended up having to uh, put it on the back burner. And unfortunately, it's not not been turned into a TV show, but it should be. Um, so, see, after Freeform, um, uh, we had Sunday's Child, and then oh goodness, what was the fourth book? Um, <laughs> uh, but we have. Um, Onyx by Felice Picano coming out uh, next month. We have 
uh, Black Marble Pool coming out next month uh, by uh, uh, Stan Leventhal. Um, so it's really been uh, really great that we've been able to, you know, we have five books right now um, that are in uh, that are available as eBooks. We have one book, Steam, out uh, just came out yesterday in uh, print, so you could you could buy that. Um, it's a huge book. Steam is huge. It's um, in the print form. It's almost 500 pages, so it's huge. Um, but it's so worth. Like, there's nothing in Steam that could be taken out. Uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, but yeah, so we have five books out right now, and then we and then uh, we're taking the rest of July off, um, and then we got two books coming out in August, and then two books coming out through November. Each month we'll have two books coming out, and then in December we're kind of taking the month off just to kind of regroup and uh, uh, charge our batteries. Yeah, Sophie and I usually do one episode in December, and then the like the the last episode is just us talking about our like top 10 books of the year. Um, we had a really difficult time doing that last year, so I might extend that to 15. But uh, it, it's the schedule that you guys have set up is like, like it seems like a, I don't want to say large undertaking, because it makes it seem like it's like not fun work, but because it is very rewarding, it sounds like. But it, it sounds like it's a, an immense amount of work. Well, you know, the, so... Fortunately, my aspect is very easy. All I have to do is uh, all I do is email the authors or estates and just respond to emails. Um, or I get to do fun things like go on podcasts. Or um, a couple of weeks ago, I did a TV show for uh, a Troy, Michigan um, public access thing. Um, yesterday, I spoke with a, a reporter from the Lambda Literary Newsletter. Um, so I get the fun parts. Oh, and then I get to also read and edit the book and um, uh, edit the books. So I kind of get the fun part. I, I feel bad for like my friend Justine, who writes all the contracts and you know has to do her legalese thing, and um, you know, and then she also helps track down the estates or the authors because a lot of times it can be quite difficult to find you know tracking down families and or the authors themselves. So she has to like do that kind of stuff. And my friend, uh, Alexander up in Canada, you know, he has to like, he has to like get the books and scan them into, uh, the, an OCR scanner. And then he has to go through the book to make sure that the, the margins are right. And he has to like do all the work to make them into an ebook and make them into a physical book. And he does a lot of tracking too. You know, he goes, you know, he goes on Ancestry.com and he looks up bibliography—not um, bibliographies. He looks up by um, obituaries and he does all that kind of stuff. And at one point, we were going to do like three books, three to four books a month release. But I said, you know, we're going to get fried within like a few months if we if we do that much. I said two books a month, fifteenth and the last of the month. I think would be perfect, you know, and then if we just take like every six months just to do like one book instead of two books, you know, it, you know, or even in December when we don't do any, you know, we're just going to take the month off and relax and, and regroup. I said that way we're not getting fried out and that, you know, you know, we have a five year goal of trying to publish as many books as we can, you know, do the two books, you know, one book in July, maybe one book in December. But yeah, we're just kind of trying to take it as easy as possible. But we're also we also love what we do. And, you know, we we all have 
day jobs. I mean, my friend uh, Alexander, you know, he's he's retired. You know, he he kind of does this just, you know, because he loves the genres. He loves the literary history so much that he's like, no, this is what I'm doing for fun. Um, my friend Justine in Los Angeles, she's a lawyer. You know, she does a lot of uh, business law. She's doing this for fun. You know, um, I, I'm a full-time student. I'm working on my second master's degree in history. Um, I, um, I, I work part-time at a bookstore. I work as a substitute teacher during the school years. So we're, we all have like what we do normally. And then this is kind of what we do for fun, which is kind of sadistic. <laughs> yeah, um, I I have definitely tried to do more than uh, two books in a month. So your schedule of publishing books is the exact same as my uh, publishing of episodes schedule, which um, I think is not as much work as what you do, obviously. <laughs> but um, I tried to do three books in a month once, and uh, I I think I like read it at an okay pace. But like, let me tell you, the amount of like editing afterwards. That's the hard part for me is me having to like go through the episode and like make it sound like I'm not just saying um over and over and over again. Uh, but uh, it's amazing that you're going for your second master's and you're also doing this and that you're, you're, um, I don't want to say associates like they're your boss, but uh, the other people in your group, they're all doing this because they just love doing it. I love that. I, I think we'd yeah um I think we'd be very unhappy if we weren't at this point. I think if we had talked about it and not done it, I think we would have been a lot more um dissatisfied with ourselves cuz you know we, we we probably I mean we blow up our messenger. I mean there'll be times where I'll be doing something at a job or I'll be away from my phone and I'll come back and there'll be 40 messages from just Justine and Alexander talking. Um, or there'll be a time where I'll be talking to that one of them and another one will pipe in and be like, give me a minute. I'm rereading everything you guys just, you guys have been discussing so I can catch up, you know? So we've, so we just, you know, it's amazing that I've never met either one of these two. Um, we are completely Facebook friends, um, at the start of this and now we're business partners, but it's amazing how well we all just kind of click. I mean, there are disagreements. Obviously there's, um, you know, we've each wanted to go a different way. Um, but you know, we discuss it, we, and it's just amazing how well we've all gotten along. Um, you know, obviously we're only been into this for a few, you know, about a year. Um, you know, we've been publishing for two months now and, um, but it's just amazing how well we've become good friends and how well we've connected, uh, for never having actually have met in person. <laughs> So really funny, um, I met Sophie at an anime convention, and I proceeded to break one of her props, and then the next year, uh, we became really good friends, and I went to her birthday party, we were like young kids, so you really never know like how you're going to make uh, a, like friends or associates, and it's, it's amazing that you guys, you met, did you guys meet through Facebook? Like, How did that work? So I am a, a, a moderator of a um, gay mystery suspense thriller Facebook page um, with my friend John Michelson, who actually helped start up Requeer Tales, but um, his um, 
his husband had some health issues and they're super busy uh with their their own business and so he couldn't he he felt bad that he was he didn't feel like he could actually contribute as much as uh he would have liked and so he kind of stepped away but anyway so he so he was um so he and i uh been doing this facebook group now for I think he started it about six years ago. I, I joined about four years ago, and then he brought me on as a co-moderator. Um, and then Alexander was a member of the group, and Justine was a member of the group. And so that's how we essentially met, was just through Facebook. That sounds like an amazing group. I, I really don't know how I missed uh, like queer mysteries up until literally last year. Like I don't know what I was doing with my life. Well, you know, the sad thing is... so. The the greatest, I mean, obviously this is going to be subjective, but the greatest gay mystery author is Joseph Hansen. He wrote this amazing uh, 12-book series about a, uh, a life insurance death claims investigator named Dave Brandstetter. When you first meet him, his lover had just died six months ago. And he's just now starting to get back into work. You know, his dad owns the insurance company and um, and so he's just getting back into work. His dad is like on his 15th marriage or something like this, or he, he you know, and, you know, Dave Brandstetter was with the same guy for, you know, like 20, 30 years or something like this. And his dad's been through 15, uh, 15 wives. Um, but the series just kind of progresses where you where you kind of go with Dave Brandstetter as he kind of ages, you know, I think he starts off in his late forties or maybe early fifties. And you just kind of go with him. And, you know, throughout the series, you know, he ends up date, you know, dating a younger, uh, African-American guy, you know, his dad, you know, his dad dies throughout the series and you just kind of like grow with him. But, um, it's probably like the greatest, uh, gay mystery series ever. And I mean, of course it's dated. I mean, the first book fade out came out in 1970. It was the, it was the first mainstream, uh, gay mystery that's, uh, that was ever released. And he opened the floodgates for like Michael Nava and Richard Stevenson and Mark Zubro and, uh, John Morgan Wilson to be able to write, you know, a, a gay detective series. And these were very noir and, What's been really sad is that his books have been out of print, with the exception of the first two. You could get the first two from the University of Wisconsin, um, but the the last ten of his books have not been available in print or you know or cheap enough for you know the general public and you know audiobooks, no ebooks, and um, so we're so a couple of weeks ago or about a month ago now, I uh, contacted the University of Wisconsin. I said, hey would it be possible for us to do something with the last 10 of his books since you guys are, you know, taking care of the first two. And they're like, Oh, actually, we actually just got rid of his, we don't have his books anymore. We gave up the rights to them. Um, so you, so if you want, you can contact, uh, the agent for, uh, Joseph Hansen's, I think it's son or daughter. Um, Joseph Hansen had a very interesting life. Joseph Hansen was a gay man who was married to a lesbian, and they had a child who ended up being transgender. So very interesting life uh, for them. Um, so anyway, so uh, the uh, child of Joseph Hansen has the rights. And so we contacted uh, the child. Uh, I say child. Um, Joseph Hansen's uh, child would probably be in their 60s or 70s, you know, about 60s or 50s now. So. 
Um, but uh, so we contacted the agent and the agent's like, oh, sorry. Um, Soho Crime actually just picked the books up last week. So we missed out on Joe. We missed out on being able to republish Joseph Hansen by a week. But we're also kind of thinking, you know what? We don't really care who publishes the books. If we do it, great. But if anybody else, but if another publisher comes forward who wants to publish uh, gay mysteries or uh, these older LGBTQ titles, the better, the, the more, the merrier for us. Yeah, because it, it sounds like you got like, obviously it would be great if you guys got to do it. But I think the joy of it is just that we want these books back in publication because we're missing out in parts of our history here yeah um, you know so much of our literary life so much of our literary heritage of the gay community is just it's out of print and it's really hard to find and if you do find it it's you know it'll be you know it's beat up it's been you know read a million times you know and what terrifies me is that we're just going to start losing our literary heritage um you know, right now there's just so much non-gay people writing um, for the gay community. You know, do you know speaking for us that it's that it seems to be drowning out authentic gay voices. And so what we're trying to do is make sure that that doesn't happen. That you know, not only are we having um, the hashtag own voices movement, you know, helping them out by, you know, republishing a lot of these, um, LGBTQ, uh, titles, but also in that we're saying, Hey, there is literary background that you are building upon, you know, so there is, there's a structure, there's a foundation, um, for gay voices, for the literary heritage. And we just really want to see that thrive and make more people aware that there's a rich literary heritage to be um, explored. Yeah, I, for one, uh, literally, if, if I hadn't reached out to you about these about your, uh, your imprint, I would never have read any of these books. And I would actually love to read more of the, the Let's Get Criminal um, stories. Uh, I, it was very, it, it was very funny to me. It was funny, but also very, um, it's a very academic setting, but I don't know why, like the main character just like was making me laugh a lot of the time. Nick Hoffman is an incredibly hilarious character. Um, just cause he's nosy and he knows it. And his husband, Stefan is just very, he's, <laughs> He kind of reminds me of like a you know you know he kind of reminds me of like from you know the Jeffrey Chadwick character from Sunday's Child and that you know he's he's kind of above it all you know he's not a regular mortal person you know he's you know he he kind of looks upon his husband Nick Hoffman as kind of this goofy little tag along who <laughs> who just kind of is there you know and they support each other and there's a lot of love between them two and you can feel that you know from Lev Raphael's uh writing but it's just funny how Nick Hoffman just gets into these like predicaments where it's just goofy like why would you do what you're doing you know and and so you know and of course a lot of these amateur sleuths these cozy mysteries you know they kind of you know, the, the main character gets into stupid situations where, you know, no normal person would actually ever get into. 
Um, but yeah, he's very comical. Um, Love Raphael. So most of the books are written in that vein. Um, his uh, book, um, Assault. Oh shoot, what was it called? Assault with a Deadly Lie, I think is the title. Um, took a little bit more of a darker turn. Um, it kind of deals with the uh, police militarization um, of American police departments right now. Uh, so that one kind of took a darker turn. I've not had the opportunity to read his latest book, uh, University Murder. I've not uh, started that one yet, but um, so I'm, I'm not sure if that one comes back to it being more of a cozy, amateur sleuth type book or if it stays in that little bit of a darker, thrillerish type book. But no, I love Nick Hoffman. Um, Let's Get Criminal is just so funny. And Nick Hoffman just gets into these stupid, stupid situations. I'm literally thinking while I'm like, while I was reading the book, I thought of the title and then Let's Get Physical popped into my head. But I was singing Let's Get Criminal. And I was like, yeah, this is exactly where I'm at right now. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so is is there like a way that you pick the the stories out is it like do you got like did you have a list of them that you're like oh these are the ones i remember these are the ones we should start with i hate this question um i'm so sorry (laughs) (laughs) only because um it's it seems random the way we pick them um like it'll just be kind of like we'll be talking um and we just kind of think Oh, you know what? You remember this one author? He wrote this book. Wouldn't it be great if he was, you know, let's let's look on Amazon, see if he's in print anymore. And then we'll look and it's like, oh, he's not. Well, let's see if we can hunt down his family. You know, let's, you know, see if we can find him. Let's see if we can find his family. And that's really how we go. I mean, it sounds very slapdash, Um, slapdash, slapdash. But it's um, it seems to have worked so far. Um, What we would love um, we have had a few people um, send us suggestions, which we love because that helps us know what people are looking for. Um, we've had a couple authors approach us. Um, Lev Raphael and Felice Bacano both approached us um, wanting to republish their back, um, their uh, their older books. Um, but for the most part, it's very um, – who we're thinking about now <laughs> um, is how we go about it. I mean, I, I, I think that there's, it looks like it's very specifically selected. That's why I was like, Oh, I, I like, this seems like very calculated, but obviously I'm not in the room when you, when you guys are picking this stuff out. Um, so it's funny to hear that. Well, and of course we're all uh, the, what we wanted to do was just do gay LGBTQ mysteries. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, we, we probably would have folk, we wanted to do that for at least the first year. Um, just focus on, um, republishing, um, LGBTQ mysteries. Um, but, uh, when Felice Picano approached us, you know, he, like I said, he's a, he's a very talented literary author and we're like, we can't tell him no. Um, so now we're kind of like, well, the mystery thing's out the window. Now we're just going to, you know, anything we can think of, anybody we want, um, anyone who people recommend, we will, you know, we really want to do this and get as many authors that are out of print back into print as we can. 
And of course, it's, it seems slapdash, but it's probably a little bit more fluid than we probably would admit, you know, because we're like, oh, you know, we really like Grant Michaels, um, which then kind of, you know, flows into Lev Raphael, which kind of flows, you know, and they all kind of like flow into each other. And we're like, oh, yeah, remember how this one this one character does this in this one book that we're publishing? Oh, and I remember this one character does it in another book. I wonder if they're still in print. And so it's just kind of, it's, it's probably more fluid than what it sounds, <laughs> but it's um, still a little bit more uh, chunky uh, than what it, what a more mainstream publisher would probably like, or what um, would be the, what would probably make the most sense. I think that's kind of what makes you guys cool. Is that like, uh, it's as I feel like it's, to me, because obviously, again, I wasn't there when you guys were picking things out. This seems like a very selected list to me. Um, and they're all like fun in their own way, like <laughs> a body to die for. I remember when I looked at the list that you sent me, I looked at that first and I was like, I need to read this. <laughs> Only because it was just like, I love a good pun. This is very funny. And die is spelled D-Y-E, like you're dying your hair. It's the, the hairstylist uh, detective. Um, but uh, I... I, I guess with uh, other publishers, they uh, they do maybe follow a cadence, but like uh, I I'm not very aware of that. So I I like what you guys have put out. Well, you know I I appreciate that. Um, a body to die for is absolutely it was groundbreaking at the time. I mean, if you look now, I mean, you can find hairstylist detectives, and they're usually mixed in with the MM romance uh, genres or the MM mysteries. It was a very uh, unusual book when it first came out because you had all – it was it's very groundbreaking. That's what I was looking for. Um, but it was um, – you had all these gay mysteries uh, from the 70s and 80s, and they were these hard, tough gay men who were – you know, they were gay. You know, they had husbands or they had romances with other men. But they were hard as nails, you know, they were tough, you know, they were the very noir um, detectives, you know, they were detectives and lawyers and private eyes, and they were these tough guys. And then all of a sudden, Stan Krejcik comes up, Vanos, his stylist name, shows up, and he's a gay man in a very stereotypical gay profession, but he's just as tough as any of these noir detectives and it was huge i mean it it kind of like said hey you know you can be gay and you can do any type of profession and you're just as tough as any straight guy yeah because uh it's <laughs> i get i i guess i uh really associate with um <laughs> the nosy school teacher and the uh, the hairstylist who is uh, more femme, um, I guess those really hit home with me. <laughs> those are the characters I tend to draw to. Um, the only, I mean, like there was one character that was uh, my favorite character in uh, Gay Mysteries is, um, and I feel horrible, I can't think of the character's name, but he's one of my favorite characters. And uh, it's from um, The Gay Detective by Lou Rand. Um, it's this flighty, very effeminate uh, gay guy who takes over his father's private detective agency in San Francisco. And his dad's this hard as nails, you know, 
uh, kind of a jerk womanizer type guy, you know, and he passes, you know, he dies before you, you know, before you get into the book, he, he passes away. So his son is taking over the business and his son shows up and he's wearing like the latest designer clothes and he comes in and he redesigns the entire uh, um, office, you know, so he's taking it kind of out of, you know, the, the dark and dreary and he's like, you know, throwing these colors on the walls and he's getting interior decorators in there to redecorate the whole place and new and brighter, newer carpeting. And, and he's just like this super fun character and he's super, you know, super effeminate and, and the police department are making fun of him Cause you know, they, you know, and it's an older book, it's, you know, from the seventies and, you know, they keep throwing out, you know, you know, the fag and queer and all this kind of like really, uh, really attacking him. And so one of so there's this one guy who's kind of associated with the police, but kind of not. Um, and they encourage him to go because he's looking for an assistant, uh, the the uh, gay detective. He's looking for the for an assistant to help him. And so they encourage this guy to go work for him. Like, you should go totally, like, uh, uh, work with this guy because it'll be hilarious. And the guy's like a former ex-Marine, and he's, you know, like six foot five, and he's built like a brick chicken house. And and he shows up, and uh, the first thing the gay detective does is, you know, he hires them, and they kind of go around – but he doesn't really feel like he gets the support from his assistant as what he's thinking. So they go to a boxing arena and, um, you know, just like, you know, some gym down the street and they go in there and he goes, come on, I want you to box me. And the guy's like, come on, I'm going to, I'm going to lay you out. You know, you're, you're this flighty gay guy, you know? And um, so he goes, no, no, I want you, I want, I want you and I to box. And of course, the gay detective just knocks the guy on his ass, you know, and just proves, hey, I may be flighty, but I'm still tough. I, <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> that, I, that is, <laughs> I, dare I say, iconic. Exactly. You know, you have this, you know, effeminate gay man who, you know, proves that, you know, just because he's effeminate doesn't make him any less than a man. No, exactly. And then, um, just to keep us moving along, because I, I know you, you have to actually go to work today. I'm off. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, do you have a favorite book out of the five that you sent me over? Are you allowed to say? Um, out of the five, you know, I'm not a horror fan. Um, Stephen, Stephen, like, I can't watch horror movies. Um, I have two... Um, too vivid too vivid of an imagination um but honestly of the five books that we've published to date um i would have to say steam is my favorite um it literally scared you know it it scared me to you know death at times it was just um i I don't know if you read it um if you've had time to read it because i know i sent you quite a bit and they're huge books um but um, there's a scene where a, one of the main characters is walking down the street and the phone is ringing. Uh, it, it's a pay phone, you know, something we don't see ever anymore. But there's a pay phone and it's ringing. And the guy is standing at the bus stop 
uh, just kind of standing there waiting for the bus. And the phone's ringing, and it's ringing. And he's kind of deciding whether or not he wants to read uh, to answer the phone or not. And so he decides he's just going to walk to the next bus stop. So he starts walking away, and the phone stops ringing. Um, and so he gets to the other bus stop, which is about a mile down the road. And the payphone next to that bus stop starts ringing and ringing. And so he finally answers it, and it's just this creepy voice on the other side. And and the book is called Steam, and uh, for a reason, um, whenever this villain, uh, this uh, uh, kind of starts to show up, you start to see like steam, and you know he's in the payphone, and it's got the glass doors, you know, it's a Superman phone booth type thing, and steam starts like um, starts condensing on the windows. But it's kind of turning the guy on a little bit. You know, this book is very erotic. And um, so, like, he gets worked up and the phone booth's all condensed and he's on the phone and it's like midnight or 1 a.m. And he, it's completely deserted street. And and then he says and then it, it makes it sound like he sees the guy, you know, and if it, it kind of starts freaking you out a little bit because you're like, you know, I had a hard time going into the bathroom for a while after that because this, you know, because um, there's a there's a there's a scene from the book in which um, there's steam. You know, you know, the one of the ma- other main characters is taking a bath and there's steam rising up, and all of a sudden there's like creatures trying to get into the bathroom and he's holding the door shut and all of a sudden in the in the window in the mirror which is steamed over there's like this big gap you know like gash and a handprint appears on his mirror and there's nobody else in the bathroom and it is freaking terrifying and um at the time jb laws was called you know the gay stephen king and you know it it was very it it'll scare you <laughs> if if that's not something you're into and i and i know your um uh podcast uh partner uh, is not a big uh, horror fan so I'm, I'm thinking she might want to avoid that book she definitely is going to want to avoid that book also um the steam in the the phone book is very much um i don't know if you saw that snl skit where the guy goes well i'm scaroused oh no that's not snl that's um that's futurama oh my god yeah sorry uh i have not seen futurama in a very long time <laughs> It's it's from a, a very uh, specific episode that I, I don't care to talk about. Um, <clears throat> and then um, my last question for you is, um, I know you spoke about uh, how you have plans for publishing a few other books this year. Um, I, my question was, do you have future plans? Is there any kind of, like, can you tell us about some of the books you're going to put out? Or can you give us, like, hints as to what they are? Um, so next month is Stan Leventhal's uh, Black Marble Pool, in which um, a uh, a music critic is acting as a travel uh, writer, um, and he's down in Key West. And the very first morning he's there, uh, he goes out to the to the pool area, and there's a dead body in the pool. Um, it's uh, it, the it's a black marbled pool and it's completely devoid of water and there's just a dead body in there. And so he spends his entire time down there instead of writing this travel uh, guy that he's supposed to be writing. um, He's kind of working as an amateur sleuth and um, he's, 
he's married. He's been married for like 10 years. And of course, this is in the 80s. So, of course, married is, you know, they're just a couple that have been together for a long time. Um, but it's really funny because he's on, you know, he's down in Key West and he's like, you know what? It's my first time away from my husband for X amount of years. I'm going to I'm going to have an affair. Um, and so he, so he spends almost the entire book. Uh, trying to find someone uh, that would, you know, he he'd be able to have sex with. Um, so he fantasized about each and every one of his suspects, you know. And then as he just uh, as he finds that they're not the guilty one, he'll start fantasizing about them. So it's just, so it's just kind of funny. And then he keeps saying, "Oh, maybe this guy I'll, I'll be able to have sex with." Um, but then, you know, the guy will be like, Hey, come back to my, my bedroom. And so they go back to the guy's bedroom and then he just wants to, you know, tell him and pretty much just pushes him right out the door. If only Grinder had existed for him in that day and age. Exactly. For guy, um, you know, he, he does get it on with a couple of people. And so, so at least, you know, he doesn't go home alone, you know, go home without it. Um, and then, um, we have Onyx by Felice Picano coming out uh, at the end of next month. But so it starts off with the two gay men uh, who sleep in um, twin beds and because they can't sleep together anymore because um, uh, they, he can't get the other guy sick. You know, he's had every type of um, illness that AIDS people got. Um, you know, he's starting to get. Um, uh, I, and um towards the end of the book he starts uh getting uh getting even more sick and there's a lot of issues with him dealing because they can't touch they can't kiss um they can't they can barely hold hands because they you know he doesn't want him sick and so there's you know he's trying to get you know it's it's a very touching book about the things um someone had to go through when their lover was dying from AIDS. And when they're so young, I mean, they're in their probably late thirties, early forties. And, but there's, you know, they're still so young and, you know, they shouldn't be having to deal with, you know, um, the crap they're dealing with. And, and then the, the guy who's dying, his mother, uh, they finally tell his mother and she flies into New York and she's very religious and she doesn't approve. And the main character's uh, uh, Jewish and she doesn't approve of Jews. And so, you know, she's expressing homophobia and very anti-Semitic and, and, you know, and, and she ends up going against their wishes and doing stuff that, it's very, very uh, disgusting, um, and it's it can be a very hard read. Um, there, just as a uh, just to let you know, uh, I can't think of what's called not spoiler, but um, you know, a young boy is killed, a, a young guy is killed, you know, from something that she uh, wants uh, that she does, um, and it's just really just terrible stuff, and it's. You know, when I'm talking about like literary heritage, this is something that say this is what you know. Maybe you don't have the exact um, life that this this couple had to do deal, but you know, the taking care of your lover who's dying of AIDS, and you know, that that's something that's disappearing. You know, I mean, as scientists are you know kind of um, you know doing better work, and more AIDS victims are living longer. You know, we're not really seeing 
the the deaths that happened in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s when you know uh, gay men were just dropping by the hundreds by the thousands and you know and here's here's an example of a couple that were kind of going through this and seeing what they had to go do to survive and you know take care of each other that actually so i've been watching um a tv show called pose and it's very much like the book um that i read called the house of impossible beauties which is about the ballroom scene which is also very linked to just because of the timing um the aids crisis and that i those kinds of books are extremely important because i think um people my age and younger forget that uh so many lights were snuffed out by the AIDS crisis and our government was doing nothing to help us really because, you know, that they thought that, uh, I believe it was, was it Ronald Reagan was in at the time? Yeah, it was Ronald Reagan. Yeah. He was, um, a trash pit. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, it's, it's something important because I think again, people my age and younger really, um, forget that that is part of our history. And um, a lot of our history was wiped out in that that time. And it wasn't so long ago that it's something that should be forgotten. And not that it should ever be forgotten, regardless of the time. But, you know, if you think about it, the 70s are not, were not that far away from the time when I was born. I was born in 1990. So that was 20 years previous to me. So it, it really, like, isn't a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. Well, I was born in 82, and, um, which is uh, pretty much when AIDS started. And I remember growing up, you know, and, you know, I, you know, my mom and my, uh, my, you know, my parents were very, you know, were very, my mom was very liberal. Um, and, um, I was not as well hidden as I thought I was, you know, um, but they were terrified, you know, um, when I told them I was gay, my mom said, you know, you have two choices in your life as a gay man. You will either grow old and die alone or you will contract AIDS and you will die very young. Those were my two options in life. Um, fortunately, uh, neither have happened. You know, I'm very happily married and I don't have AIDS. Um, so it's it's kind of terrifying to think that when I was growing up, that's what people thought would happen to gay men. Um, I remember, you know, so when we talk about like, I, I was talking to, um, uh, to John Copenhaver yesterday for the Lambda literary. And I said, you know, I said, we can all go into a library or into a youth bookstore or into a bookstore and you can find tons of nonfiction books. Um, about the gay history, but they can be dry. They can be boring. You know, they, you know, it, you know, do you really, you know, you can't picture a million gay men dying of AIDS. I mean, you can say, okay, yeah. I said, you you know, you, you can think about it, but you can't actually picture it. You don't know what they were going through day after day. You can't picture their regular lives and how they dealt with, um, being gay in the fifties or the sixties. And, um, but you can do that if you pick up a fiction book or, you know, you can, 
you know, when you read uh, Joseph Hansen's Dave Branstetter and you see him interacting with his lover in the 70s or in the 80s, you can go, oh, that's what life was like in the 70s and 80s to be a gay man. Or you can read, you know, Lou Rand's Gay Detective and say, oh, well, this is what it was like. You know, you know, I'm working on this bibliography of gay mysteries and it's funny the evolution that care that gay men play in mysteries you know they start off as the batch the confirmed bachelor who lives down the street or the gay or the the two men who live quietly in the apartment next door or you know the love interest who turns out to be a man you know and but who must die violently um, and so you slowly evolve until the 70s and 80s when they become huge detectives. But it's amazing that we can see the lives of gay men and how they lived and how they could live and how they survived um, in fiction. And, you know, you can kind of see where they kind of place and how the evolution of gay men kind of evolved and you you can get that from nonfiction, but you know, like I said, it's dry. But it's so much more fun to read it in in a fictional form, and you can see their day to day lives, and you kind of and you begin to like adopt the person into your family, or you want to be adopted into their family, and you just you know, and I just feel like the reason it's so great for Read Queer Tales to bring back a lot of these books is that we can say, look, this is what it was like to be a gay man. And yes, it's fiction, but this is from, you know, an author's, a real gay man's point of view of what it was like to be a gay man at this time. And I think uh, as important as like actual historical books are, obviously I think seeing a, uh, or reading about a character that, is you know very fleshed out really um makes you feel like a i don't want to say attraction but like you feel very attached to them i should say and i think um again with the house of impossible beauties like i i felt like i was it's weird because it's a it's a, a book about people who didn't exist but they kind of did it's like based on real people but not actually them um i felt like a strong attachment to them and I felt like I learned a lot about the AIDS crisis through a book that was about people who didn't exist versus like, if I was to read like a history book, like, yes, this is very important, but it's like you said, it could be a little bit drier. And I, <laughs> I think our community is not a dry people. No, we're definitely not a dry people. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, those are kind of all the questions I have. I feel like I, I might just start reiterating questions if I go on for too much longer. Um, and I know you needed to get either get ready for work or leave for work around this time. So do you have anything else you want to talk about? Um, there's one thing, um, obviously all of our books are by and mostly for about gay men. Um, we, have been working very hard trying to find and publish um, the other elements of our community, lesbians, transgender, bisexuals, um, or just people who identify as queer. Um, We have reached out 
to a t- uh, to at least a dozen lesbian authors who and and the estates um, that are out of print, um, and we have been meeting with no success. Um, so, if anyone who listens to your podcast um, can get us names ideas suggestions um of lesbian transgender bisexual queer authors and their titles we would love that because we are having a really hard time um finding and getting a uh getting contact with um these authors because there are great lesbian and transgender and queer and bisexual authors out there that are out of print but we can't find them. <laughs> so, you know, our our focus right now is gay literature because uh, we just can't we've reached out and we're having a hard time connecting. So if anyone has suggestions or comments or ideas of who else we should be getting a, getting that is other than gay, you know, because obviously, you know, gay men have a sort of, you know, a gay white man, you know, as myself, Alexander, you know, Justine is a, is a straight white woman, you know, we don't have an in, you know, or we're kind of disconnected from those communities. And we have a privilege that those communities don't have. Um, And so we would love, 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 love for people to contact us with ideas, suggestions, authors, titles of who they think we could uh, go after. And, uh, you know, it's it's a big community. And by focusing on just one, it really diminishes our imprint and and really diminishes our literary heritage that we need to be encouraging more of these authors um, and not just the one not just the one group. So. That's my that's my only plea is for help um, because we are trying to do this for the entire community and not just for the gay community, um, and so we're so that's my one plea is to try and uh, get help from people who might know or have a or have suggestions for us. Yes, of course, um, and I I can see if I can um, pester some authors online that I'm friendly with to see if they know of anyone that. Um, that would fit in with what you were just talking about because we, we Sophie and I have been having the same issue in terms of like finding um, more literature that isn't just about uh, boys falling in love Um, only because like I I would like to read something else as well. Um, I obviously have a preference for liking certain things, but I would like to read other things because everything is as rewarding as the last. Um, And uh, if we do come across anything, I will be sure to let you know. Well, I super appreciate that because we we are, you know, I don't want us to get labeled as the gay um, publisher um, when we really want to be more than that. Yes, uh, that is completely understandable, especially because you don't want to look like you're catering just to a specific part of a community as a whole. (laughs) Exactly. Now, I will say um, we are working very, very hard on our covers. Um, You will notice that we never have any. Uh, uh, headless 
or shirtless guys on our covers because I think that, you know, that trope is so nineties and so trashy um, that, so we're, we are trying to make ourselves a little above, above that. And, and so, you know, we don't want people to think that, Oh, we just do romance or we just only do um, bodice rippers. Um, So, um, you know, so if you do have lesbian uh, author suggestions or something like that, make sure they know that we're not, you know, out just to like um, to put them down or whatnot. No, and uh, I I think um, for books that I, I I want to have on my shelf, I just like them to be aesthetically pleasing. If I'm like in terms of like the book covers, I I don't really look at a book with like a shirtless man, Fabio, and go, yes, I need this. Like, it's not something that I, I, I necessarily need in my life. So I actually really like that uh, the book covers that I saw on Kindle um, that you sent over, like, they they were very tasteful. Well, and two, you know, you know, I read physical books, and I, and I believe you read physical books. Um, if I'm out in public... Um, I can't, you know, I, you know, I live in West Michigan, which is, you know, it's getting more liberal as time goes on, but it's still a very conservative area. And um, so I can't bring a book out into public with a half shirtless guy on it or, you know, and with a big rainbow flag on the cover or, you know, something like that, you know, so. Our, I feel like our covers are tastefully done so that you can bring them out into public and actually read them and people won't um, uh, think that you're trashy or that, you know. But anyways, I love reading in pizza places. You know, I'll just go to a pizza place and sit there and read and have a slice of pizza, you know, and so I don't get, you know, weird looks when I'm sitting there and, you know, or I have to take the dust jacket off the hardcover, you know? So these books are great for uh, being able to do that. And of course they're, most of our books are eBooks. So, um, you, you, you know, it'll be your Kindle or whatever you use to read them. Nobody will know the difference, but, um, but it's still a point for me that we don't have, um, shirtless headless guys on our covers. I'm thankfully in a part of New Jersey where I can sit and, uh, read, uh, very, queer literature um and wear shirts that say super gay on the way to target and not be harassed little i'm not even kidding you i get made fun of by children because of the length of my hair not because i'm wearing a shirt that says like super gay um and i remember i just got a tattoo that says love out loud and rainbow uh and um i after i got it done i was like oh shit i just got a gay a gay tattoo like I, I don't have anything that outwardly says it. And then as, as I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, I'm clearly very much a gay man. So like, it doesn't matter. Like there's no use quote unquote, trying to hide something because I I've never been able to do that. And, um, I know that in different places in America, it's not as easy to be, um, an outwardly, uh, loud gay man like myself. Um, so I understand the need to be able to, um, kind of blend in a little bit more. No, I, I told you that, and I, it's funny because you mentioned that you're in New, uh, you lived in New Jersey and uh, live in New Jersey. And my mom is actually from New Jersey, um, so when I was a kid, we used to go to New Jersey quite a bit, and it's it was always kind of interesting the the difference of like how we live and how people in New Jersey live. You know, just like um, 
because obviously to us, like New Jersey was so much, you know, obviously there's different parts of New Jersey. I totally get that as there's different parts of Michigan, but it always seemed like so much more cultured. You know, we, we'd walk down to the local bakery and we'd get bagels and, you know, and uh, stuff like that for breakfast. We don't do that in Michigan, you know, Michigan, you go to, you know, uh, you go to a diner and you get like bacon, eggs and cheese, you know, bacon, egg and cheese and uh, omelets and big, you know, mugs of coffee and, and the blacker, the better of the coffee, you know, it's just, so it's always just very interesting, the difference uh, between the two. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, it's funny, I guess, because I'm, I'm from here, I just look at New Jersey and I'm just like, meh, because I'm used to it. And then I'll go to, I don't know, like I, I'm near Princeton and some of the places there are very, I don't want to say like hoity toity, but like, I can't walk through them <laughs> uh, a lot of the time because I think uh, I'm just not the right clientele. But I, I completely understand what you're saying. Oh, and I, I just listened to your last podcast um, about um, I can't remember uh, can't remember who it was, but um, you guys were talking about like small towns, and I had a laugh because you were saying that you had like a graduating class of like 600 or something, and um, I graduated from a very very small town in which I had a graduating class of 60 people. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny, as I'm saying, like, oh, I'm from a small town. I guess it's like, I've always considered my town to be small, um, only because, like, I I guess it's, like, where I am specifically in town. Like, South Brunswick isn't, like, a very large area, um, and we're, like, maybe, like, a half hour away from, like, the capital, which is Trenton, and um, South Brunswick, to me, as a kid, I always imagined it to be very small, because I always dreamed of, like, living in a city, and romanticizing that. Uh, so like to me, anything that isn't like New York or Philadelphia or LA is like small, but like obviously um, where Tom Ryan grew up, uh, what he was saying was like, he actually is from like a legitimately small town where like as me, like when I graduated from Catholic school, I was in a class of 48, I think it was, it was 48 to 50. And then I, I went on to a graduating class from high school of like upwards of 700 people and i always i adjusted really well but i know that other people were like how did you adjust from 50 to like 700 and i'm like i don't know i guess it's just uh how it was well i was um so the town i grew up in was very very small um and then like all the neighboring ones were like much larger so like there's this one town near where i grew up um and I ended up going there for like some of my community uh, college classes were held at this uh, this high school, and um, they had um and one of the teachers, one of the professors, was also a teacher there, and she said, you know, um, the problem with our school, she goes, is that it feels more like a college campus. She goes, nobody knows any, you know. She goes, you can be sitting in a class of forty people, and if and I'll and if I ask them how many have you been in a class before together or who do you know she goes sometimes people don't raise their hands because they don't know who anybody else is in the classroom she goes because you know even though some of them have been in the school system for years together they don't know they don't necessarily know mean they know each other and i think the one you know my my husband went to a fairly large school and he said you know being gay and he he didn't come out until he was in his uh early 20s um um, he said that when he was in high school, it was very tough to be a gay kid. You know, there were tons of bullies and, you know, you, 
and they were just awful and they were mean to you know uh, you know to gay kids and i said you know for me you know i had uh there was uh you know there was about 70 of us in class and we all grew up together for the most part you know some kids came in later some kids left but anyways for the most part it was the same group that i went to kindergarten with that i graduated with and you you knew these people and you 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 may not have been friendly with them but you knew everything about them and they knew everything about you there was no hiding um so when i was growing up you know i wasn't picked on or bullied i mean the normal picking on you know the the typical stuff you know but there was no like outright bullying because you knew the kids parents uh, everybody knew each other so i feel like i was kind of protected a little bit as a gay guy as a gay teenager because you know my mom was friends with all their parent all my classmates parents moms and you know it was just kind of like you knew each other so there was not you there was nothing to bully about because you grew up together and you were just always together yeah i think i think uh when I went from Catholic school to uh, public school, it was very different only because like with the class being much smaller, we kind of knew everyone very intimately. And uh, I think my entire class knew I was gay before I did. Um, and at, in high school, I, it was a different kind of like, I don't want to say it was bullying, but it was at, like some were outwardly bullying me where others were just like kind of shitty towards me. But um, it's, uh, I guess it it is a little bit different. Um, uh, one quick. Uh, so my mom, uh, my mom worked at the school where I where I went, and um, uh, she she uh, she works. She lives in this one retirement home, uh, not really a retirement, but fifty five and up com- uh, community. And um, there was a lunch lady slash bus driver um, who went who worked at the same school that I went to. And so she moved in near where my mom lived. And so they got talking one day and, you know, the normal questions, you know, oh, how's, how's your son doing? And my mom would always go, you know, Oh, Jeff, my older brother. Oh, you know, he's married with kids and, you know, he's doing this and he's doing that. And she's like, Oh, and then she'd say, Oh, and you know, my daughter, which would be my younger sister, you know, she's doing this and she's married and she has kids and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and then, you know, and of course, um, I was that gay kid that was best friends with all the lunch ladies and the janitors and the teachers. I didn't have friends my own age, you know. And um, so she goes, well, how's Matt doing? And um, and my mom's like, well, um well, you see, I don't know if you know this, but Matt's gay. And she goes, Robin, we all knew Matt was gay. Yeah. I, uh, it's always a weird conversation because I, I always disliked him thinking that uh, it's something that like you could pick up on um, before other people could. And it's just like the silliest thing, but like, I I guess I I mean my parents knew that I was gay when I told them, uh, but it, it, I I remember asking them I was like why didn't you tell me and they're like we can't just tell you you have to figure it out yourself. Uh, my my parents were the exact same way. They're like yeah we know. 
Perfect. Um, do you have anything else you want to add before we finish up our episode? I, I don't. I think we've we've wandered quite a ways from uh, talking about uh, uh, gay literature and what we do. So I, I think I'm good for the day. Perfect. Yeah, this is a, it's kind of what happens on this podcast. Um, if Sophie was here, you would be interrogated about Carly Rae Jepsen. It's kind of a thing we do now. But um, I guess be thankful that she's not here. I know. I was trying to think of like what Carly Rae Jepsen stuff I know. Um, I'm like, well, I, um, um, I, I, all I've got is um, I loved um, um, Call Me Maybe, and then after that, I'm like, I really don't know what else. Um, like, seriously, I love I, I love her music, but like, if I'm listening to the radio, I just enjoy the music. I don't really tie. I'm I'm not musically inclined, so. If I hear music, I just think, oh, this is a really cool thing. And I don't link artists with music and music with the artist. You know, my husband has a degree in in history in uh, music. And like he can tell me when people's birthdays are and how old they are. And he knows like CDs and albums and songs on which albums and i'm like i have no idea what you're talking about or even who you're talking about so yeah so i'm really kind of glad that there was no discussion about carly ray because i would have felt really horrible no it's fine the only thing i know about like musical things that are like people's birthdays um one of britney spears's children shares a birthday with me and um i am okay with that um yeah it's britney i mean how can you not be okay with having the same birthday as her um as her son yeah, it's almost like I'm also Britney, bitch. It's like we're almost the same person. And my sister has the same birthday as Cher. So, I mean, I'm like right up there with Cher. Icons only, obviously. <laughs> well, obviously. All right. Well, um, if you want to introduce yourself one more time as, I guess, uh, we leave the, the episode, you're more than welcome to do it. Well, um, again, this is uh, Matt Lovers-Moore. I'm with Requeered Tales. Um, uh, you can get a hold of me at uh, info at requeeredtales.com, um, or you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, at, uh, by searching Requeered Tales, or you can uh, check out our website at requeeredtales.com. All right, perfect. And... Um... My name is Brendan Patrick, and thank you so much for listening to Superlit. Lit.